Welcome back to Pods with Nick and James. Our topic this week is education. Um, I've chosen this topic as education affects the way we think, the choices we make as individuals, and shapes our society at large. The more research I've done into this, the more I've realised that I've bitten off way more than we can choose, so we might have to come back to this topic at a later point. Um, we're lucky in this country in that we receive a free education from the government. Uh, a lot of our thought processes are shaped by an education, so I'll start with, I guess, some of our own uh, personal experiences, keep it nice and vague, and then look at a couple of interesting facts to do with education, comparing this country and America's as Western education is kind of more what I'm familiar with, or the modern of Western education, rather than that of individual tutors in foreign countries or um, other schooling models. Uh, like, Nick, uh, I know you've got a number of views on this. Um, I guess we'll kick off the ball. How was your education like? Um, How did you find it? Well, obviously, hi and welcome back to everybody. Um, my education, um, it was very, I think... I had the aptitude to be quite an intelligent person. I had always shown quite an aptitude. I can remember back in the early part of school, my teachers quite frequently said to my parent, um, my mum, that if I if they could get me glued to the seat, then I could answer any question that they had, um, do any work that they had in a very short period of time. The, the problem they had was keeping me attentive enough to do the work that they were asking. Um, however, my personal experience of education isn't a good one. I, um, I had quite a very, very bad experience throughout school. I think I, I was um, physically bullied in um, some manner every day from first day of nursery right the way through to about halfway through year nine which affected my ability to stay on track in school. I rebelled quite a lot. And as a result, my education maybe didn't get the full attention that I probably should have given it. I came away with reasonably good grades, but if you think about reasonably good grades with barely any attendance in some years at school, then what could have been my real achievement if I had have applied myself properly with the right support around me? I think the main thing that was missing for me was the the correct level of support for the issues that I was facing. But Absolutely. That was my experience. It was it was not a good one, but I hope that it's not still going on nowadays. Yourself? Oh, it does seem uh, it does seem to me like there is a lot more support out there um for people like um all right, so listeners to this podcast, um I hope you're not going to need to uh, edit this out Nick. Um Actually, you know what? I'll speak on my behalf and I'll let you speak on your behalf. Um, both Nick and myself are not neurotypical. Uh, by that, I mean I have uh, Asperger's, which is redefined as uh, high functioning autism, along with uh, dyslexia and a myriad of other weird quirks. And if Nick wants to share, uh, like you said, that you didn't have enough uh, support other than like obviously you're high functioning because otherwise you wouldn't have had uh teachers saying what they said about you when you were growing up and the fact that you could work at such a pace 
and the problem was getting you to just slow down enough um how would you describe yourself like what what were your needs so, that weren't met so obviously i got to 29 years old and a psychologist that i was seeing at the time identified the fact that i'm autistic high functioning autistic mm. um and I think that was the big gap throughout my upbringing because I was different. But I think you'll agree, the lack of understanding surrounding that that um, aspect of, of people, um, it it's, it was lacking when I was a kid, and I should imagine when you were a kid as well, being being roughly the same age. Um, uh, yeah, I uh, although I I was lucky, um, it was caught when I was twenty. Mm. Um, at the end of my first year at art uni before then it had been misdiagnosed as mental illness um, mm. which sounds bad but like honestly I don't actually think it was the amount of counselling that I had although it wasn't the right treatment as it were it's still you know like I'm just going to say it out there if you're listening to this counselling helps uh, helps you at least process your emotions and although it didn't I don't think there necessarily is a cure for autism like miracles of God and science aside um, it helped you know like I think I don't know how many times yeah. I've said in my life just tell me how to and I will do you know mm. and there, there is no guidebook to life is it is there and there's so many people um so many people grow up and i think it's one i think my misconception for me as an as an autistic now was growing up i, I saw everybody else just seemed to be able to do it with no problem whereas for me everything was a two-step process i had to think about how other people would react to enable me to know how to react um in every situation that i was going through otherwise my reactions were quite often completely polar opposite to what most people other were people expecting. Were, were expecting. Yeah, and that was where a lot of my, my bullying and a lot of my problems came from. People could say one or two things and I would explode and end up marching all the way around the school in a, in a complete rage. But mm. that was normal for me. That was me not being able to process my emotions. Um, but that was the problem Which with you... the education sector. When I, was, when I was growing up, there was no understanding for... Um, mm. For for autism or no no ability to even identify that I was surrounded by social workers and doctors and and teachers and nobody identified it in me until I was twenty nine years old. So I think that's one diff one major difference in the education sector now is that they are hyper aware of those intricacies and differences in oh, absolutely individuals. Like yeah, like absolutely. Like I know um. Like people seem to think that our autism, or something that seems to almost be the thing, is that autism is on the rise. It's not on the rise. It's just it's always been there, and it's now being more accepted. Yeah, um, awareness to it has grown massively, yeah. hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like I, I'm, I'm certain my dad had autism, um, but it was just never diagnosed. Uh, I don't think my granddad did have autism um just because he was a very sociable person but there was this controlling element with my granddad so i'm thinking you know what maybe he could have been and just have like hidden it well as a lot of people uh with autism do oh all right well i'm sorry to hear your your uh your your 
education was difficult. I will admit secondary school was not easier for me uh, or was, no, sorry, was not as difficult uh, as what you've described, but I will admit I didn't do particularly well um, in years 10 and 11. I didn't spend most of my time away from school, but I will admit I was sick about a third of the time due to general anxiety and just like not wanting to go in. Sure. And part of that was just exactly what you have mentioned. Although I, uh, although I've always had a bit of a fear of authority and I'll go into that into another time as well. Um, I always did my best to hold it together, but people's words would cut me and sometimes somebody could say the wrong thing and I would just go into a spiral. Yeah. And it's still that way now. Still that way now if I don't keep an eye on it. Yeah. Um, which uh, is a shame. But you know what? We'll talk about or we'll bring up autism and different conditions at another point. I think, um, mental, I think mental health as a general topic would be a great one down the absolutely. road. Um, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I, I will admit I, I struggled. I was not. Yeah, it was just it was obvious looking back like. Yeah, I don't know. Look, I don't know what it was like when you were 29 got diagnosed, but like when they diagnosed me at first, I was really resistant to it because I knew somebody else who who had Asperger's and how they were like was in my mind not the same as how i am um but anyway all right so with education um the main idea of it is or supposedly and i guess this is where the philosophical part comes in it's supposed to prepare you for the world um i don't know about you i don't feel it did there are elements that it prepared me for it prepared me for criticism criticism it prepared me for not everyone liking me uh, it prepared me for working as a team but it definitely didn't i mean i think the most important skill anyone can have is the willingness to try something or sorry the bravery to try something new and the resilience to keep going when it fails or to try something different when it fails rather than giving up like do you feel that your own education helped in that sense or do you feel it was a massive waste of time i i don't feel like don't think i don't think for a moment that my education was a, a massive waste of time but i do i don't think it, it meets the the correct criteria to support our children um, and our mm. young people to develop into meaningful humans in their adulthood i don't think it yeah. provides them with the right um, foundation to go forwards um, in in a productive manner. Quite often, it purely teaches. It, I mean, it it's been teaching the same way for for so long. I mean, my my stepdaughter is now coming into her GCSE year, and she's learning of mice and men. Now twenty. 25 years ago when I was well 20 well I suppose 20 years ago when I was in um, in my GCSE year I learnt of mice and men that was 20 years why hasn't education adapted and evolved in 20 years there's been a lot more literature 
there's been a lot more learnt about the structure of education and how it differs and psychology's changed over the last 20 years. Why hasn't the education sector changed? Why hasn't it for, its format changed? You know, it still teaches the very mainstream way, which doesn't meet, it didn't meet everybody's, everybody's, um, I won't say it didn't meet anybody's, but it certainly didn't meet everybody's um, attention when they were growing up. It certainly didn't appeal to everybody in their own learning style. Well, that's a fair point. Like, um, I think there is a lot of idolization when it comes to certain classical works. Um, and I think, I think Of Mice and Men is a good book, but you are correct. It's the one I learned as well. Like, I don't, I don't know. I, I think it's it's an interesting book in forms of history, in forms of sociology, in forms of learning about like racism, class differences, the Great Depression, um, overcoming obstacles and stuff. But you're right. Other stuff has been released. Mm. And in 20 years, you would... Like, don't get me wrong, maths isn't going to change. But no. the way that you teach maths... Yes, absolutely. Change. Absolutely, English. but you also you also have to take into account the fact that everybody everybody you have sat in front of you now classes classrooms have got bigger. The teachers are teaching larger number of children in front of them, um, and each one of those individual children learns in their own way. Do you know how much of a task you're asking an adult to to be able to communicate what they're trying to teach? to 35 different individuals, 35 to 40 different individuals that all learn in a different way. It's just not possible. I will admit that has that has crossed my mind. Like, uh, just as you have children um, in the education system now, my experience of the education system is different because I've worked in a art college for a year and I also worked in a school for people with autism for mm. five years. Um, which uh, it, I, I kind of I find it interesting, like when people, uh, you know, what there's a lot of a lot of things we'll touch upon, but I will admit, completely agree. Like, even though the the class sizes at the school that I worked at were smaller, because of the needs of the pupils, you sometimes would have two, and in the more difficult classes maybe even free teaching assistants. Yeah. So it's kind of weird that you've got teacher is this job where you're paid just enough to get by. And then you've got a load of teaching assistants, which I'm going to be honest with you are more than often mums with kids of their own. Yep. Um, teaching other people's kids in order to try and translate from the broad speech that the teacher has to give to 35 people to try and translate it to those individual children. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but I yeah. don't... I think, I, I think there's, like, there's obviously a decent message that, that, the, um, that the system is trying to portray with the subjects that they're trying to teach, that they continually bring up as... But the vision that they have in that office of that teaching model is not 
going to filter down all the way to the teacher in every single school in the country mm. as effective as it was in their mind when they're in that office up there. You know, they instead Absolutely. of instead of having this concretized model of this is what you will teach and this is how you will teach it. There needs to be an element of freedom for those teachers to assess their classroom and go, you know what? I know what the syllabus is and I'm going to teach that, but I'm going to teach it in a way that you guys are going to get it. And I guess that's a large part of uh, the challenge of teaching is the prep and yeah. is the out, which I, I will, um, Hmm. Well, I tell you what, that actually kind of brings us through to one of my points here. What would you do? What would you do, Nick, to change the current education system? Um, it's a difficult well, I, I one to said because you've said about freedom, but like it's it's, I a, guess... it's a difficult one to. Uh, obviously, I don't. I'm not a uh, a professor of education, and I don't profess to know everything about education. I do know how I would have logically broken down the education system if I was in a position to have done so. And that and that is to teach core basic skills of language, both reading and written language. Um, sorry, spoken and written language. Um, mathematics as a base, because math is a universal language. It's not a language that you learn in English and then you have to learn it all over again when you go to French. I, I can imagine there are potentially aliens on the other side of the universe that still know maths in the same way that we do, um, just in their own format. Maths oh, yes. is a I, I, would, I would hope they don't have base 10. <laughs> no, sorry, base 9. That's what we're working with. But the, 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 the fact is that the, the, the universe is maths. So you when you think about it in that way that is a base skill that you must have at least as a basic going into adulthood everything is this plus that and equals this and then you go into the basic science of methodology where um you like formula and um what was the the, the model okay, of high so hypothesis hypothesis yeah, um, so this is what I planning, expect. Yeah, exactly. Planning, and, execution, and then, and then obs execution, observation, you know. Yeah. yeah. So that that in itself, not as like, oh, you're going to learn this about, you're going to learn about plants and, and whatever else like that. If you want to specialise, absolutely, go and learn that. But as, as, a, as a base format, I think it should have been more along the lines of you... Um, need to learn how to problem solve, how to identify there's a problem, and then experiment with the best way to solve that problem, um, and how what you can learn by those experiments that you've taken, and how you can develop other other techniques from it. Because I think that is basic life, isn't it? And then another subject which is not covered in school, which needs to be covered in school, is social, social economics. I know people go into school when they spend time with their friends. Um, but one thing that I never learn in school, which is something that is taken for granted, is how to, like, how, how people are supposed to be 
Like how they're supposed to live and behave and coexist in the society where we live. The, mm. the, like the, the workings of a close-knit society, and especially with the development of technology, like how, like why are they not teaching our children how to, um, how to be kind to other people and how to expect people to be kind to you and how to react when people aren't kind to you mm. and how to get the best out of a situation that you go into and how to apply yourself to be the best that you can be in that situation. But the psychology... How, how, to, posi- how to positively com- uh, resolve conflict. Exactly, because yeah. they don't. What they do is they kind of go, well, you're in... Like, how many fights happen in the playground? I can remember numerous times I witnessed fights and was in the middle of a fight, etc. in school. But there was no, this is how we're going to talk about the problem. What they do is they just sit you in the headmaster's office afterwards and just tell you off about the fact that that even happened. But if you don't teach us how to problem solve, how to discuss our, our issues, and then, and then resolve our issues, then how are we going to actually do that? What you're going to do is you're going to create an aggressive nation. Some like so when adults leave school and they end up in these positions of power, where they go and they they end up as the colonels of our armies and and the leaders of our government. Instead of resolving their problems, they're going to just aggressively go forwards into into conflict, because that's how they've always dealt with their problems. I think. It's interesting that you bring that up. One of the reasons why I got slightly disillusioned about the education system was because I noticed how the children were growing and how they were leaving Mm. uh, all that I was working at. And I felt that even with the support that we were giving a number of the students we weren't equipping them uh, for life. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how to positively state it. Like, I I felt like we weren't um, raising, raising autistic children with additional support and then helping them becoming a functioning adult. I sometimes felt like we were institutionalizing them to expect certain forms of help which they're not always going to receive yeah Um, and And it's not just the autistics the autistic schools either Mm. um i think the mainstream education is is victim and um is victim to that same that same problem where the education that they are delivering is so institutionalized that it's it's quite frequently for the mo- for the majority of the public when they leave school it's clipping their wings it's not allowing them to um, to be equipped in a way that they can flourish they end up leaving the school system not equipped going into um, school uh, not not sorry school, into work feeling completely undervalued, completely underachieving, and they just fall into 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 depression as a result. Um, maybe that's just yeah. a very strong uh, a strong no, opinion it, of mine. It, but... it, it is it is something that's happened. Like um, something I'm going to quickly share with you um, is that this is something which has come about um, in the American system. 
um, this guy called Rockefeller um, donated $1.27 billion uh, into the American education system. But because he had paid for it, he got to shape it. And I even just started, even just starting who started public schools in England, I get video after video after video about this American dude and what he did in order to control the school system and how it is by design made to not make free thinkers but to make workers. Yeah. Yeah, I can completely understand that. So just to obviously I I wanna just the name that you've dropped there is quite a quite a significant one and I'm sure mm. I'm sure he'll he's gonna come up time and time again. Um but Mr. Rockefeller is part of a, a big family of of extremely rich people that have come to shape a lot of what we know as as the world we live in today. Um, now, um, the education system um, predominantly promotes the use of the right hand side of the brain. Um, the right hand side of the brain is what we use for memory, recall, logic, problem solving. It's it's. The main, it's the main part of the brain that is used in day-to-day life nowadays especially because what we do is we absorb information, assimilate it logically on that side of our brain and then allow the left-hand side, oh, this is how the brain's supposed to work anyway, you assimilate it logically and interpret it logically and then you use the left-hand side of your brain to creatively, um, to creatively develop that information that you've got into uh, into potential potential for other outcomes you know whereas if you only exercise the right hand side of your brain you don't have the ability to then change that piece of information that you've you've assimilated into something which which allows for growth and potential you literally just have that is the information i've i've digested and then i'm going to give that back out afterwards so it's just it's just it's just um assimilation and regurgitation that's all you have you have i was told that this is the case and therefore that is what i'm going to tell everybody else mm. you know that's it, it completely nullifies free thinking absolutely i i think that also kind of comes on um that connects with media and how we process uh information nowadays yeah um, how it's all kind of done from a particular point of view another thing which i uh, disagree with is with YouTube and Facebook feeds where the algorithm just feeds you more of what um, more of what uh, the what you've clicked before yeah yeah or what you've liked like so it gets to the point where you'll have loads of people with varying views never seeing the same material and their realities will be completely separate and that in itself isn't necessarily bad but it's when it's imposed artificially you know like i'm okay with people two different people from two different nations who never meet and never talk to the same people having different ideas in my mind that's normal but two people living in the same society maybe even next door to each other having polarized opposite views 
because their entire experiences are so alien from one another that they couldn't even possibly relate is is worrying in my mind at least like yeah. maybe it shouldn't maybe i'm maybe i'm trying to control what people think there but like i think there should always be just some factual um not even middle ground but common ground between human beings um but I th- that's i think the the crux of it is i mean obviously media as a as a as an organization is purely um information filtering mm. organization designed to create a centralized perspective for the nation for the world now and its sole intent is to generate a state of of fear and consumership where you are scared to question scared scared to go out and the only means you have to make yourself feel better is through the use of of objects that you have to buy or or money that you have to spend and when when the entirety of your economic or socio-economic um, pyramid is built on financial gain which is what the system is entirely built on. And especially when you come to education, the whole point of education is to learn to go to work, to earn a living, to, to provide eventually for your own family, and to continue and to de- then teach that to your your, genera- your generation in order for them to go ahead and do exactly the same thing. When when you have when you have a structure that is entirely um, profit led and 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 um, has monetary value, then its meaning and its its potential is completely lost. You have um, a system which which doesn't think of generating the best potential for individuals. It has a system which is generating the best potential for singular singular people and singular organisations, and it's it's despicable to to say the least. Oh, that's a fair. That's a fair point. Like, um, it should always be about what is. What is best? What I will. It's. My own experience was difficult because I. Saw. When working for a institution, I saw good teachers. I saw bad teachers, and I saw good people, and I saw bad people. Sorry, good people and bad people. What surprised me is was that you had some bad people who were genuinely good teachers, and you had a lot of good people who were bad teachers and not necessarily able to convey themselves or have the positive impact that they were wanting to have. It all came down to the ability to communicate, the ability to be authoritative yet approachable, and the ability to bear information. But I guess well, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Well, the thing is, when there's a monetary value to your life, when you have to earn money in order to mm. be able to live within the society that we're in, then you have to go and find an occupation. And then you are limited by what occupation you can obtain, not what your skills can achieve, but what your what your what what your resources around you, what's available to you, you know? And that means that quite often people that like square pegs are trying to fit in circular holes. Because the system demands, 
And that that's very much the education system that has that has drilled that into young people moving forward is that they must just go and find a job and then they end up working in jobs that they they aren't happy in because they require because the society requires that because of the the monetary value that is on um, in demand you know there's also a social pressure there as well that i feel is i i you can't blame everything on your parents or on the educational system but i will admit that i feel i don't know about yourself i feel a constant pressure to be uh climbing up the ladder to be making more to be yeah to have an idea of where i'm going but where does that come um, from that's an education in itself that's the, the socialistic education isn't it that's your mm. parents teaching you what they know and what their parents taught them you know um, that's outside of the institution of education. That's society having its input, you know. But yeah. even that in itself needs to change. Like, there's there's no need for you to seek personal development. Of like, if you don't like, especially if you you're working in a job that you're not necessarily happy in. Why should you try to advance in a job that you're not happy in? You know, what you want to be doing. You get some guys that leave leave university with top notch degrees and end up working in McDonald's, you know, because that's what's available to them. And then they still have that social pressure on them to, though you should be you should be using your education. Well, in what way? How am I supposed to do that? There's nothing available to me nearby that I can be using that degree. All I can do is fill the spaces that are available to me. The only space that was available to me at the time is McDonald's. And I sure as hell don't want to pass my way up the, the, the retail chain because I'm trained in in physics or I'm trained in, in in politics. You know? I will I will admit it did always surprise me. Um when I was at university myself, I learnt that only the best and brightest even got jobs in the catering industry. So I had to travel over an hour in order to work at a cafe because all the ones close to where I was living were filled by master's students, were filled by part-time students, were filled by the cream of the crop. Mm. If you wanted, it, it, it's, it becomes a little bit sad when if you want to meet someone with 150, 140 IQ plus, you've got to go to Starbucks. Yeah. And you can talk to them for a split second. By yep. asking for a filter coffee, yeah, like that. It, like honest, honestly, I remember. Um, and you can always tell the smart ones because uh, they yeah, tend well, to. They're, they're dying. They're like you could tell them because there's of the frustration. But also, if you're having a political or social debate, if the barista speaks up and trounces both of you, like I learned pretty quickly, don't talk, don't don't talk, don't give them jip, don't anything these people like the people the person serving you is not a force to be <laughs> yeah they, they're with, quite like... often um i mean i've met i've met a very mixed bag when it comes to to shop workers but you never underestimate anybody when when you when you come into contact with them because you don't know what life they've lived and, yeah, and as i said because as we've as we've covered in this you you can't you, you can't think that just because somebody's working at mcdonald's that they're stupid you know just because and please don't think because i said oh they, like this person doesn't want to work in mcdonald's that mcdonald's is a bad job it's just not suited to that person with their degree you know 
there if like it's suited to people that looked to work in retail you know or it's suited to people that have that have arguably the, it's suited to people with an incredible amount of drive and a good work ethic i mean like, have you worked in mcdonald's no, but I. But I'm, we've both worked. We've both worked with somebody who yeah, has. I, I worked in McDonald's, and it is oh, it is breakneck and so yeah. fast. And everybody yeah. that comes to your till has got a problem with something, and you just have to. Like, if if there was ever a organization where the customer is always right, it's McDonald's, where you have to be happy with everybody that comes to the till, no matter what problem they're bringing you, and you have to fix that problem there and then because you've got to queue out the door of more people that are more that are just as hungry as them, if not more, and the, the wheel keeps turning, you know? And so it is draining. You go in there for seven hours and you are constantly on the go for the whole time uh, in the middle of a hot kitchen with 45 people running around you all the time, bumping into you and squeezing past you, etc., etc., to try and get all this food out to everybody that's going through the drive-thru and coming through the till. It's not an easy job, not by any means. Not at all. Like, I will say, uh, I worked in catering for 10 years, um, mm. but the place that I worked at was not a McDonald's. And I've seen busy kitchens, and I know that although I was busy at times, although there were times when I would really needed to pull my finger out and I did my best and often did. It's not the same. It's not the same as what you see when you look through the McDonald's drive through window and you see people rushing about left, right and center, you know, yeah. like any, any fast food place like is a, is a difficult job. Um, and respect to those people who do it. Like, to be Absolutely. fair, there's a lot of hard jobs out there, but uh, yeah, like you know, you don't you don't get a lot of shout outs to this one goes out to all the McDonald's workers. Yeah. Or these goes down to all the people buck grinding away at KFC. Yeah. Like all the all the all the care workers that are working 14 hour days, like seven days a week, just because nobody wants to do the job, and there they are because they've got a heart driving their way yeah. through absolutely everything. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. The, the real work, workers of the world need, need a lot of credit. And quite often, they are far what, more educated for the job that they're doing. What frustrates me as well is also like the way that it's kind of, the way that it's viewed, but also kind of the way things are going. Like a mate of mine did work in a care home. Then he started his uh started doing uh building work yeah and then he, and then he started getting better at that starting doing more organizing more organizing more organizing he's now at a point where he doesn't necessarily need to be on site all that often yeah and i can understand he wants you know he wants his energy so he can raise his kids so that he can do so that he can treat his family right and all of that but like i feel Oh, you know what? Everything here is going to be on tape. Like, I also have a lot of respect for builders because they're genuinely making shit. Yeah. I think anybody who actually produces something, there should be, I don't know, like there's a level of esteem in that. Not that what we do as a, oh yeah, sorry, just uh, right out there, me and Nick met at a workplace, but we sustain things. Yeah. 
where yeah, we yeah. work. But I think I've this is a lot of respect for people who make things. Yeah, this comes back to the financial aspect that I was discussing earlier. If you take away money, builders still exist. You still need builders. You know, mm. you still need people to provide housing. You still need people to provide like hospitals and and schools and 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 leisure leisure facilities, etc. So builders as a skill like construction workers, electricians, like they still exist even outside of money, you know? So mm. like you, you, you look at the amount of jobs that are purely there for the consumer, for the money. You look at places like coffee shops, you look at places like, like internet cafes, you look at places like, well, even insurance brokers and, and, and banks, like they don't exist outside of money, but skills, Skills like builders, electricians, construction workers, tim, um, plumbers, yeah, plumbers like they they still exist. So I absolutely get what you're saying. Like they are they are providing a a service which is necessary. You know, farmers right. are some of the most like the most the hardest hardest workers on the bleeding planet, and they get the 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 worst deal of all of us. Uh, it's unreal how much they have to pay just to be able to run their farms and then they need to make a certain amount in order to get the in order to keep sustaining that you know we have uh that that like the agri- agricultural state of things in this country is a bad thing and we do need to we absolutely need to work on that that's another thing we should probably come back to hmm. um i i think also like any any vocational stuff like if there was anything that i could uh, actually improve um in this country it would possibly be the age at which you can start um doing vocational stuff yeah because it's got one interesting fact about education here um by 1880s education was compulsory in this country for children aged five to ten uh, with the school leaving age uh, progressively being raised since then. But, like, when it comes... Yeah, I don't know. It just it, it surprises me that... <sighs> There's a lot of academic stuff, like, of Mice and Men, and although I enjoyed it, it's not for everyone. Shakespeare as well. I enjoyed it. Also not for everyone, you know? Like, it's... You shouldn't force people to do that yeah i will admit that i do like how free we are in this country um like one little fact i want to throw out out to you um did you know that in 47 states in the u.s of america they are required uh the pledge to say the pledge of allegiance um at the beginning of the day yeah as, as with like varying exemptions for students that... or staff who do not wish to do it one of my absolute heroes is a man called Jacques Fresco. I don't know if you know him, but he... I, I do, but I want to hear his story. Let's he. Uh, we will cover his story, but it's, it will be at another time. Now, um, okay. Jacques, full episode. Jacques Fresco, nice. um, he refused to pledge his allegiance to the uh, at, at the start of class. And he was questioned why he was... Being uh, like he was refusing to pledge his allegiance to to to, to America, and he was like, because I, it's not just America. 
This is like we're all humans. Why are we pledging allegiance to America? We should be pledging our allegiance to humanity. And unless it is humanity that you're pledging allegiance to, I don't want to have anything to do with it. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair enough. There are there are numerous examples of people like that with varying degrees of reaction from the system. Yeah. Surprising is that although this is a commonly done thing, there was a Supreme Court ruling in 1943 mm. uh, saying that schools couldn't force people to do that and yet it's still so widely done um i like the fact that if you want in this country you can sing god save the quick king god save well it is god save the king now but you don't have to yeah like if you're a member of parliament and you don't do it yeah questions will be raised but it's but it is still your choice like when uh corbyn didn't sing it you know like yeah. he's that's fair enough. Like people are entitled to their own, to their own views. But um, I know I'm, I'm. I know I'm kind of generalising here. But America is quite heavy with the, for lack of a better term, indoctrination, isn't it? Um, quite a lot of its. Um, well, I I wanted to talk to you about that because where 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 do you draw the line? between education and indoctrination well like because i i don't think it's fine cut i think there are elements of indoctrination in many institutions and i think there are still some educative elements within institutions which do do indoctrination well if you think um i'll, I'll tell you what you ever heard about the jonestown massacre oh you know what yeah let's um yeah, let's hear about that, and then if we've got a bit of time afterwards, I've got a couple of uh, quotes here from famous people to do with education. I want to get your thoughts on. We will want to. We want to bring this back out afterwards. Or... This is going to be quite a heavy topic, but indoctrination oh, okay. can have huge ramifications. Now, Jonestown Massacre is one of the best examples, and I use the term "best" in very, oh. very, very, very loosely here because there is nothing good about this situation. But um, a man called Jim Jones started something called the People's Temple in Indianapolis in America in 1955. Now, the People's Temple was quite socialistic, quite Marxist um, in its scope. It preached Christianity to some degree, but it was very, um, very Marxist in its view views. I think they called it epistotic socialism um and they like they believed in um well i'm going to be honest with you because i uh because of my own beliefs i can actually see some of that although you get people from all kinds of different political backgrounds um kind of preaching in a way their own political view as if it's from the Bible, there are several bits which fit there. Like, uh, I think there was one point when John the Baptist was speaking to Jesus, and Jesus literally, uh, one of the things is, uh, the person who has two shirts has to give one of them away to the person who has none. Mm. Like, it's just, yeah. there's a lot There's a lot of that sort of stuff in there. So, like, so Jim Jones was very strongly viewed 
Um, mm. Very strong, strongly opinionated. He built the People's Temple, and it wasn't just one. There was numerous People's Temples from 1955 um, right the way through to um, 1975 when he decided that he was going to up sticks and leave America as a, as a general and go and start his own socialist um, village in Guyana in America, um, which they named Jonestown. Now, over a thousand people from his people's temples went to um, Guyana, to Jonestown, and lived in his uh, convent, for lack of a better term, together. Yeah, attempted uh, utopian society. Exactly, and it was an attempted utopian society, but it was very driven by Jim Jones. Now, because they were in the middle of the Guyana jungle, Jim was able to do many things with these people. He was able to tell them, like filter the information that they were receiving. He was able to tell them and indoctrinate them into believing that that was the best place that they could be. They built the, and it was, it was so cleverly done. They built the entire village themselves. They, they chopped down the local trees and built their houses and built their pavilion where they all spent all of their time together and they farmed their food. And, and you can see that, the, that there was a thousand people that had this view, this belief that what they were working for was, was a wonderful thing, led by a man who was very, very twisted, very he was not a very nice person at all. Um, and it, he, as I said, he was filtering information, telling them things like the CIA were, were trying to take, to bring their utopia down. The, the American, the American government was trying to bring their utopia down. Their, their family members, like driving a wedge between them and their family members by saying that their family wanted to, to bring them away from their utopia and stop their dream from, from happening. Um, that in, 1978 November uh, November the week leading up to the no- November 18th he started what has now come to be described as a six day six day mental siege with the inhabitants of um, Jonestown where he was waking them up very early in the morning with a a, um, a panic siren um, preaching across, um, alerting them all using a, a, a code word they called White Knight, which was where everybody had to go and meet in the um, in the pavilion, where he would then tell them that that there was there was people on their way that they were gonna they were gonna attack their village and just generally instilling this sense of fear and dread that this this utopia that these people had lived and and brought about brought about was going to be to be ended because of these people these evil people that were going to come and take it all away um there was a counselor in america called counselor ryan who literally just wanted to go with a number of the relatives of people that were in jonestown to go and see jonestown and see that it was okay that their their family members were okay but because everybody was ostracized from their family members nobody knew so they literally had to just go and see. And they, through negotiations, eventually Councillor Ryan goes to Jonestown. Um, and on the 18th of November, he's in Jonestown. A number of people decide that they're going to leave Jonestown. Um, and I think there was about 
14, 15 people that decided they were going to leave Jonestown. They didn't want to be there anymore. Um, now, you think 14 people compared to the 1,000 people that are there, it's not a large amount of people, but Jim Jones didn't like this. And what Jim, jo what Jim Jones did was he told someone to go and kill these people before they got on their plane to leave. And then this person did go to the air, airstrip and kill or try to kill everybody. He killed the counsellor, killed a couple of people that were trying to get on the plane, a couple of journalists. Um, and then what that created, Jim Jones was then able to tell his people that if they didn't, like what they were then part of was a murder. They were guilty by association at that point, and that's what he told them. He said, "Are you going to stand in the way of this? Of, are you going to are you going to rat out the person that that committed this murder, or are you, or are you just going to? They're going to destroy everything. You're going to stand together and and accept the fate that they're going to they're going to they're going to bring upon you, because you're you're part of this murder now. You're you're in this." Um, or are we going to have a re or are we going to take the law into our own hands, choose our own fate? And then what he he um, instigated with them was what he called a revolutionary suicide. Um, and on the on the morning of November nineteenth, nine hundred and eighteen people, including children, were found dead in Jonestown, where. They were poisoned through the use of cyanide and other drugs, which they most of them willingly took, but some were injected through like oral syringes. Um, and Jim Jones himself um, was shot in the head, not even by his own hand. He had to get somebody else to do it. Um, and it was the biggest mass suicide in history, which was all the subject of information and education by manipulation. So indoctrination is a very, very powerful tool, and if, if, um, and it's something we all need to be very, very, very careful of, because it can lead to very, very devastating things. And those people, when when they decided to take that poison, they had no other choice to them. You, if you put yourself in their perspective, in their shoes, you can, in some crazy way, understand why they took that poison. Because everything they had lived for the past three years at a minimum, but their, their religion for the past 20 years, um, was whipped out from underneath them. And then everything they'd lived was a lie. And they had no other alternative. Was no other, there was no other option left to them. Um, and it was all constructed by, by this twisted, twisted individual. So... Mm. I mean, it's it's a crazy situation to. Is this where the meme of the, like the idea of, because it's it's also a meme that's used in American kind of uh, pop culture a lot. Is the idea of the cult that goes up to a hill or goes into the woods to drink Kool Aid? Yeah, don't drink the Kool Aid is where it comes from. Yep. Mm. Yep. Um, but yeah, yeah. So indoctrination is a very very powerful tool and we need to be very very wary of indoctrination as 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 a world wow well that's that's definitely something true and that does fit in with one of my quotes that i've got here so um a 
a number of famous people have got things here about education. Gonna uh, gonna start looking at those. Although that's a, that's a, that's an incredible story, and that's that's terrifying. And I guess that's something. I think that's what separates, in my mind, a legitimate religion or a legitimate um, culture, subculture, or group from a cult. With a cult, you don't get a choice. With a with a culture, you can leave. You know, yeah. But I, I, that's a whole. That's a whole other thing as well for another time. Um, sorry, it's just I realised I was moving quite quickly away from that, and that is a very. <laughs> that's a very deep story there. Yeah, well, that, not story. That is a incredibly dark turn of events. Uh, honestly, sorry to hear that that happened, but uh, I'm better off for knowing that it happened, and that's where those pop culture references come from. Um, yeah, and here we are. Here we are, what, 45, nearly 50 years on from that point. Um, still no more um, no more aware of when you're being indoctrinated um, and the impact in which it has. They do teach some critical thought in English classes, I noticed when I was trying to help about um five years ago like they get you to examine the text and realize is it persuasive text is it this kind of text is it um yeah but i think self-awareness is a massive uh is a massive thing there okay well um one thing which uh aristotle said is that it is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain? Sorry, to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it, which I think uh, is incredibly true. Because in order to understand someone else's opinion, you have to at least entertain the thought. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily mean you accept their their way of thinking is true. It just means you have to think, well, if this is from their point of view then and then you try and kind of make, connect some of the dots about yeah. how they think if that's not the epitome of the podcast and the whole reasoning behind it then I'm not really sure what, what is the reasoning behind it like we are trying to listen to all the different or, or discuss all the different opinions and kind of even if we don't agree with them just by kind mm. of highlight the fact that they do exist and and that is a perspective that some people some people have and although it's not our own it's definitely one worth one with value and one that has that has meaning for some people if uh if anyone's listening and you uh either disagree strongly with something we've said um by all means don't go on a hate rampage but do bring it to our attention and we will consider, like, you know, giving you an answer and stuff. Like, I'm, I'm not going to promise I'm going to answer for every mispronunciation, uh, although I hope, or every um, every foot that I put wrong, as I don't think it's possible to say anything or any uh, exclusive 
uh, for idea or statement without offending somebody. But uh, if uh, if you do strongly disagree, send us uh, a reasonable uh, message, and we'll do our best best to answer it. It may even like pull it over into the next episode, I guess. Okay, um, another one, uh, another thing to do. All right, so Socrates said, education is the kindling of a flame, not the filling of a vessel. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. You know what? Since having left school, I've sought education more than yeah. I I ever did when I was in school. Um, like, even, even now, whilst I'm working, like, I'm still... Um, I still ask for every piece of training that I can because it interests me. You know, I want to learn everything that I can. And I'm 35 years old. Like, it never stops. I think I think if you can find the enjoyment of learning new things, like you can really, really start fulfilling your own life. Absolutely, man. Okay. Um, another one here. Uh, education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. Any ideas on who said that? Um, I would probably go along the lines of either Gandhi or... Similar hmm. level of popularity, um, different continent. No, I can't. I can't think. No, that's fair enough. It is a bit unfair. I'm not trying to be unfair on purpose, but... Uh... Nelson Mandela. Fair enough. Said. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, as I, I'm not sure if this is necessarily uh, to do with education here, but there was a, a number of so uh, the gentle well, yeah, the famous playwright Mark Twain had a number of things to say about education. Um, one of them was don't let schooling interfere with your education uh kind of pointing out the clear difference between learning things and sometimes school-based activities uh another one was um education has its limits uh, this is one i actually really disagree with and i imagine you'll disagree with me with as well but um another thing he said was Everything's got its limits. You cannot edu educate iron ore into gold. Which, the moment you start using um, any kind of parable, parable uh, like the moment you take away the humanity from the person and compare them to an object, you immediately go into the territory of belittling. Yeah. Um, but... I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I kind of, I think it's a matter of perspective, that one there, um, because mm. I think there is a limit to education, because I think there is a point in which your education stops, and what you're doing is you're developing them, you're developing past that education, you know, and then mm. that becomes the education of the future. Your findings then, your 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 theologies, become the education of the future, and that's the expansion and evolution of humanity, isn't it? Fair point. Yep. Okay. One of my favourite um, uh, quotes relative to education 
my sorry, this isn't just one of my favourites. It's absolutely my favourite. Uh, fantastic! I knew you'd have one. And this is absolutely my favourite quote in education terms. Is Albert Einstein? Albert Einstein said, "You couldn't judge a frog on his ability to climb a tree." That's fantastic. And I think it's so important to remember that when you're in like the education sector now, when you look at the institution of education, like you're, you, that's essentially what they are doing. They are judging frogs on their ability, proverbial frogs, by add, um, on their ability to climb trees. They're looking for, for birds to be able to take down elephants, you mm. know, and on their own, they're unable to do that. You cannot, you cannot, expect that to be the case you need to equip our young people nowadays with the ability to identify their strengths and then the the the, the knowledge in which to develop those strengths into into tools that they can then use to better humanity i, I mean annoyingly uh, partly this heat but also the fact that i'm tired I don't have a counterpoint to that. That's uh, very well put. Interestingly, the same bloke uh, said the following. Um, Anyone who has never made a mistake has never tried anything new. Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely. another one Einstein there. Like, and he... Uh, I think he, you know, he definitely tried a number of new things, although... I'm not sure if he's actually my favourite scientist or not. I'm actually more of a fan of Marie Curie myself, but uh, that's something else for another time. Okay. Well, that's covered most of the material that I've got here. Um, There was one question from earlier, which I don't think we've covered. What countries do you think do do education better? Which country? Yeah, like, like, do you think there is a better system? out there like currently on the world market of education i think there are a number of better systems i think the larger the country you go the more important it is for the people that run that country to dumb down their education and keep their population simple in order to make it easier for them to lead their country so if you're looking for a better education model you normally just have to go to a smaller country and i think somewhere like sweden um probably has the better or Iceland probably has some of the best education, not just education, but health sector models as well. Um, like the population smaller um, and the freedom in which that population has is, is so much greater. And if you look at their, their mental health um, levels in their countries, you'll find that the level of mental health in those countries is so much lower than it is in big countries like the US and and the UK as a result. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, but weirdly enough, there are a number of different methods which are, are pioneered by um, kind of the Scandinavian countries like Sweden, Norway. They all do... Uh, I'm not sure which country it is, but I know one of them, um, their kindergarten system is you have to be able to show that you can play with others before you're 
put into mainstream education, which in some ways is amazing because it shows that you need to show the social skills and ability to cooperate before you can do it. But in some ways it's worrying because not all kids are massively sociable. Yeah, you, know? you go back to what Einstein said. Mm. Uh, what about the climb? Yeah, yeah. But with, the, with the climbing the, the tree, tree frog frogs climb trees. Well, but he, was, like, he uh, wasn't aware of that, was he? It was, it was, it was probably before he was. Uh, tree frogs were widely known of, but the the, the essence is there. The essence yeah, of what no, he was no, trying, no, to, like, trying to get. Yeah, like there are flying fish, but you don't, you can't judge a fish on its ability to fly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it. Okay, well, I realise that there are other other things that we could have uh, covered here, like uh, the different methods of learning of uh, kinesthetic. Is it kinesthetic? Kinesthetic. I can never remember all of it, but I'm afraid we've gotten through most of the material that I've uh, prepared there. Um, do you have any closing statements on the subject of education? It's kinesthetic, by the way. Um, there no, we go. No, um, I, I don't have anything else. I've actually really enjoyed this episode. Um, okay, brilliant. Um, one final thing is, uh, did you know that... Uh, so we're not going to go massively into it, but we are currently recording this from Kent. Um, did you know, Nick, that one of the first schools in this country is actually really close to where we are right now? Um, no, I didn't. about what, 20 minutes up the road. No, I didn't. Where was it? Okay. St. Augustine's Abbey in Canterbury. Oh, well, um, I thought you were going to say Canterbury, yeah. Yeah, it was actually uh, one of the first schools in this country. One uh, of the first institutionalised schools. Well, one of the first institutionalised schools, you are absolutely right, but uh, that one was uh, literally five, uh, sorry, 500 AD. Wow. Yeah. Wow, okay, yeah. Yeah, so that's, uh, I, I don't know. Like, considering I've never been there, I've been in the car park opposite it. <laughs> I've been, isn't, isn't I've been to Canterbury, but I can't say that I've been to St Augustine's. Yeah, I've been to the cafe. I've been to the Greasy Spoon cafes around the corner from it. <laughs> I've walked past it a bunch of times. Needless to say, you got what you need. A mate of mine got punched right outside it. Oh well. But but, but I didn't realise it's kind of. But it's not that uh, that that wasn't because he received an education inside of it, or he didn't receive an education inside of it. No, you're right. I, I'm, you're right. I differ, but it's just kind of interesting that there can there is amazing stuff buried all around and often it kind of uh we take it for granted in this country well there's uh, a piece of education which i think history. could be uh could be pursued a lot more than it is which is the actual history of the, the country that we live in history as a topic is one of the most incredible things that i've i've got into more since i left school i think when I was in school, it was one of the most boring subjects to to listen to. But mm. since leaving school, learning history has been one of the most enjoyable things that I've done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, great. Well, um, you've all been listening to uh, Pods with Nick and James. Um, thanks a lot for listening. Uh, do you want to decide what we're going to focus on next week? Uh, Last recording, or do you want to 
have a quick chat afterwards. Well, I think I think we'll. Uh, there's a structure that I want to go forwards with when it comes to future topics, which I'll talk to the viewer, uh, the listeners about now. Which is going to be, I'm going to open a Reddit um, for. Okay, so they, um, they get a bit of say for people to have an input on what they want us to discuss in future future podcasts. But we'll settle on a decision later. Um, and obviously, for those people that are listening and want to have your input on that Reddit, keep an eye on the. Uh, the subject for the link and um, go and have your input on Reddit. Brilliant. Well, to anyone who has been listening, sorry and thank you. (laughs) Take care, guys.